morning. <laughs> You're like, yeah, we're not playing that game anymore. Hey, so the word, the churchy, the big fat churchy word of the hour is consecrate. Say consecrate. I had to look it up too. But according to the experts in Sugar House, that was great, by the way, um, it means to consummate or to, <laughs> to protect your toothbrush or hide your beer from your roommate. Those are just some of the uh, expert, uh, expert uh, advice uh, uh, definitions from Sugar House. Here's the legitimate definition of consecrate. You ready? It, it means to make or declare something sacred, to, to literally to set something apart. So, you know, we don't really use the word too much today, uh, apparently. <laughs> we don't use it very much today. But uh, raise your hand if you have wedding china. Got wedding china? Anybody? <laughs> There's a couple guys actually raise their hand. I've got wedding china. It's in my shop. Yeah. So there's probably, I'm guessing there's more of you that did not participate in that little poll that I just did. But, um, you know, we use the word consecrate, and, 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 and the thing that I think of in our house is our wedding china. Beth, do you remember the last time we used our wedding china? No. We, we don't really use It's set aside for something very important. We don't know what that is. The day is coming. We should probably get that on the calendar. We don't, we don't know what it is, but it's, it's very special. It's set aside. You spend lots of money on these things, and then you package them, and they sit there. And the day is coming, though. We will use it for something special. But we, use, we consecrate things all the time in our life. Um, we set things apart. For dads, probably this is you. It's, it's the worn-out chair right in front of the, the TV with the, the array of nuclear remotes. You know, It's consecrated. It's yours. If the kid is in it and you show up, the kid moves. And you are the, you know, the, the domain ruleth the plasma, right? Uh, for some of the ladies in here, your consecrated space might be the sacred room. Do you know, does anyone have a sacred room? Did you grow up with a sacred room? I was talking to someone recently who had a sacred room. It's otherwise known as the living room, the front room, the sitting room. And um, I, I don't know, somebody else in the crowd, I won't point you out, but you were laughing with me this week. You're like, oh, you had a sacred room? I didn't have a sacred room, but my mother-in-law has a sacred room. And I was trying to impress her. I didn't know you're not supposed to walk in the sacred room. The vacuum lines are sacred. And I'm trying to impress my mother-in-law. I walk in the sacred room. I'm like, son of a God, I can't believe. I'm like, you know, using my toe to try to get the footprints out. And I was busted. Who walked in the sacred room? Like, why do you have a sacred room? It's sacred. Good. So it's sacred. It's set apart. I don't know what it's used for. But consecrating means to set things apart, to be holy. To, to be reserved for something very, very special. And so we've been, we've been following the Israelites for the last five weeks. We'll do it for another week coming up here. And uh, in the book of Joshua, and we're going to get to this big fat churchy word, consecrate. And that, that's actually everything that we're going to be talking about today is around this word. And, and it's the next step that God gives them in Joshua chapter, starting in one, we started, we're all the way through, and we're actually into chapter three now. It is the next step that God gives to the Israelites in order for them to be ready, as Mary was talking about a few moments ago, for God to move. And, and she went over a bunch of things that, you know, be strong, courageous, uh, walk in spirit and truth, and so on and so forth. And the next one, in line, God says, consecrate yourself. So we're going to get to that. And, and so on the, on the screen, you're going to see it here. We're going to jump right in, pick up the story in, in Joshua chapter 3, starting in verses 1 through 6. And we're going to kind of hit verses 1 through 4 first off here. Early in the morning... Joshua and all the Israelites set out for Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the, the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you will, this is very important here, move out from your positions. When you see what's going on, Israel, you're going to move out from your positions and you're going to follow it. Verse 4, then you're going to know which way to go. So that uh, since you have, and this is kind of an uh, important phrase here too, since you have never been this way before. Here's the back part of the story. So for the last 40 years, the Israelites, they've been wandering around. We've talked about that. They wandered around because they were faithless. They, uh, they kind of snubbed God. They did their own deal. And out of discipline, they wandered around in the, in the desert for about 40 years. Now, they were very accustomed over the last 40 years that the Ark of the Covenant would sit right in the middle of their camp, and they would all set up their camp, and uh, two million of them would sit right in their camp. There are guys who figured this out, and, and, and about two million, they're like, how much tent space is that per person? And people sit and think about this, and so I 
sit and research it, and, and they have decided that it would be, you know, comfortable elbow room. It would be about a, an 18-mile area to house 2 million people in tents, and they would face all their tents towards the middle, and there would be the Ark of the Covenant. So for 40 years that they've done this, and, and now Joshua is saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, move. This is not new news. This was, this was something that they were accustomed to, and, and when the Ark of the Covenant led, they responded. The Ark of the Covenant to them was the presence of God with them. And, and so it was nothing new that, that Joshua instructed them to do this. He said, follow the Ark of the Covenant. When it moves, you move. Where it goes, you should go. That's the game plan. However, right here in chapter 3, it gets a little bit different because Joshua's officers add this bit of instruction here, and we just read it. Move and follow because you've never been this way before. Ah, here's the added detail. You've never been this way before. They've been pretty much familiar with all the rest of the desert because <laughs> they've just been walking in circles for a long period of time. But this, this next chapter was brand new. This was a brand new adventure. So they're camping for three days, and they could actually probably see across the Jordan River onto the other side and into the promised land to which none of them, except for two of them, had ever stood and it's all new adventure. As I was reading this passage, I was just compelled to think what it would be like for them. I mean, what were they thinking? Put yourself in their shoes for a second. Wandering in the desert for 40, 40 years, and then suddenly it's a new day. How are you feeling? Something big's going to take place. What's going on inside of you? A little bit of anxiety? Sure, because <laughs> they don't know how they're going to get across the river yet, probably. A little bit of fear? Probably. I bet there was probably some elation, just very, you know, man, some, some hope of what's going to happen, most definitely probably that. Here's the deal. I, I don't know if you, you guys uh, resonate with this, but in my life, new territory, new territory is pretty unnerving. For me, it's, it's, it's very unsettling at times. Some of you guys are fine with it. You, you roll with the punches, new things, no problem. You, know, you love change and things like that. That's not really me. I love, I love adventure. I love doing that kind of stuff. But change, I don't know. I'm kind of one of those guys who goes to the same restaurant. I get the same thing. Why mess up a good thing? It's just the same. Let's, I mean, it's been good to me. I'll be good at it, you know? I don't really like a whole lot of change. But there are things that happen in your life, new territory all the time, starting a new job, losing a job. That's new territory. Maybe a new baby in your family. Holy, holy cow. We just, yeah, it's new territory for us. We're just feeling like we're just now crawling out from underneath an 11-month rock, you know, having Chloe. It's just, it's, it's just crazy. A new marriage that you've never been married before, and suddenly you're, you're with another person, and, and it's all new territory. It's crazy. Transferring to a new school, a new, new uh, family crisis that's just totally unforeseen, new health challenge. All of these things pro promote new butterflies in your stomach, and, and I'm guessing that's what was going on with the Israelites. Have you been there? Have you, have you felt that? For me, I, I lay in bed at night, <laughs> and, and I obsess about these things. Tomorrow morning, I know it's going to be different. I can't sleep. You know, my stomach is churning. My anxiety, my mind is on overdrive. I'm running through all the scenarios and, and thinking about what tomorrow morning is going to bring. I, I do the sharp elbow to Beth, or I, you know, move close to her, and she's like, what? I'm like, oh, you're awake. Let's talk, you know, or, or oh, you can't sleep either, me neither. Let's, you know, let's discuss this. You're freaked out. I am too. Good thing you're awake. I'm just guessing this is probably how the Israelites are feeling. And Joshua's instruction to them is, hey, listen, I'm not going to tell you when. But when you see the Ark of the Covenant move out, you go, you take off, you'll know it's time to leave. God, he's going to go before you into new territory. Keep an eye on him. And then he adds this. This is a really wild instruction here. Check it out in verse 4, if you can throw that back up on the screen. He says, not only move out, but keep a distance of about three, I'm sorry, keep a distance about a thousand yards between you and the ark, do not go near it. So that's about a half a mile. He's saying, hey, stay away from the ark about a half a mile. Why? Because your socks or your sandals are about ready to get blown off your feet because you're going to see something pretty amazing take place here in a moment. And what's about to happen, you're not going to want to miss it. So, so hang back because God is about ready to do something pretty spectacular. And, and there's, there should be no mistake at all that it's God who's doing the doing. 
He's going to be front and center. The Ark of the Covenant is going to be leading the way. It's God. It's his power. So hang back, everyone, and just watch, hang out, and see what happens. And so then Joshua follows it with another, another instruction for a very, very specific command in, 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 in verse 5 here. Here's what he says. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. And so they took it up and they walked ahead of them. Joshua tells him, he says, consecrate yourself. In other words, purify yourself. Israelites, set yourself apart as holy to the Lord. And, and, and this command that he gives here, the, the, the tense that it, it's in, it's an imperative command. And here's what that means. It wasn't just a suggestion. This type of tense in, in the Hebrew language is actually a military instruction. It's not a suggestion. It's something that immediate action was to take place. And so when they heard that, they knew that they had to move right away. You got to stop what you're doing, people, and consecrate yourself. Do that right now. Now, this is weird because when I read this passage, I actually think, were they surprised by that? Because here it is. They're getting ready to enter Cana for the very first time ever. They're standing on, you know, the, the banks. They're camped there. And, and they're going to enter this land for the first time. And they know there's going to be warfare. They know there's going to be fighting. And perhaps the Canaanites are on the opposite side of the, the, the shore. We don't know, looking at the Israel, because it's not like two million people can kind of sneak up to the edge of a country and kind of like sneak in, you know. So I'm sure they were drawing a lot of attention at the time. People were noticing that the Israelites are massing here on the bank. And, and, and here's Joshua saying, consecrate yourself. It seems weird to me. It seems like Joshua should stand up as a leader and say, listen. Here's what you need to do. Go back to your tent. Sharpen up your sword. Get your stuff. Grab your arrows, your buck knife, you know, whatever. Get it all together. Train. Do some push-ups because tomorrow we're going in and there's going to be some warfare. We're going to kick. We're going to go for it. But he doesn't say that. He goes, hey, consecrate yourself. And hopefully they knew what that word went. Standing around, toothbrush, consummate. You know, and he says, got to do this. Sanctify yourself. Set yourself apart. Purify yourself. And when you see the ark move out, move from your positions and join God in what he's doing. See, Joshua doesn't give military preparation here. He gives spiritual preparation. He says, that's what we need to do here. There's another little uh, phrase here I want to pick up, though. So we have to look back at verse 5 once again. He says, consecrate yourself because, here it comes, here it comes, verse 5, here it comes, because, there it is, God is about to do, and this is really important here, God is about to do amazing things among you. That word amazing, it is, it's this Hebrew word, and it's the closest thing that we have to the word miracles in the Old Testament. The, the, the Hebrew word is actually pele. And, and it's not to be confused with the Brazilian guy, Pele, because that's P-E-L-E. -E. This is P-A-L-A. -A. Brazilian guy's cool, but he's not, you know, miraculous. And Joshua says to the Israelites, he's like, consecrate yourself, because tomorrow God is going to do miraculous, amazing things all around you. And you, you do not want to miss this. So here's the first point that I just want to pause with you on really briefly here. According to God's word, if you and I, because we're in the series, right? Get ready for God to move. If you and I want to see God do amazing things, or throw in the actual Hebrew word there, want to see God do miraculous things in our life, around our life, then the instructions here are really clear. The instruction is that, that you and I have got to set our, ourselves apart. We've got to be holy. We've got to consecrate Ourself. All of those phrases, they mean the same thing. And really, really, what we're boiling that down to is you've got to reserve your heart and your life and all that you are for God, aligning who I am with who God is and getting ready when God moves out that I can move from my position and join Him in the miraculous things that He's doing. But here's the crux. As I'm reading through this, I'm, I'm screaming 
in my, in my head as I'm reading through this passage going, how do I do that? How do I do that? How do I prepare my heart, you know, and consecrate my heart? Is this term that I'm so foreign with? I, I don't understand it. How can I make myself holy? How can I purify myself? And maybe you're, you're, you're thinking the same thing. It, it, it sounds impossible that I can actually do that. Because do I have some kind of ability, some kind of magic ability inside of me to purify, sanctify? You know, it sounds impossible. And this is where we're going to spend the, the balance of our time and taking some cues from Scripture and really start to understand what does this mean? Because it's actually found throughout the Old Testament. What does it mean to consecrate ourselves? That's such a churchy word. What is, it, what is the Bible actually saying? What is God looking from us to do? And it sounds very daunting. And as I look through Scripture and pull it out, and, and I started doing some studying, and Dave and I really got together, had some great conversation about this. There seems to be like four keys that pop out of God's Scripture here that we start to get some cues off of about what it means to consecrate. I want to pause right here and, and ask you, grab your program, grab a pen, whatever, because I'm going to give you just a, key, a few key words, and I would love for you to take this ball and run with it this week and actually uh, have, a, have a further conversation with God on what it means to actually set yourself apart. And there's some, there's some things we need to understand and actually acknowledge that I think will make the pieces of this puzzle come together in order for me to set myself apart. And here's the first thing I want to talk about just briefly here. The first one is this, in order to set myself apart and do what Joshua is commanding the people to do and do what God has commanded the Israelites throughout the Old Testament to do, I have to acknowledge that I have been chosen to be holy. So if you want to write down a key phrase, you don't have to write all that, you can just write down, I'm chosen, that I'm chosen. I have to acknowledge that I'm chosen. And for the Israelites, this was a very, very true statement. They knew it. All throughout history, all throughout the Old Testament, God had, had reiterated this time after time after time after time, saying, Israelites, my people, you are chosen. Quickly, I just want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, sorry, chapter 7, verse 6. God was uh, uh, reiterating this again and again to his people. He said, for you are a people. You're a people holy to the Lord your God. You're, you're, uh, the Lord your God, here it is, has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possessions. They were set aside for God's holy use. This, this word chosen here is very interesting too because it's in this, this perfect tense. Here's what that means. In, in the Hebrew language, what that meant is that it was already done. It was a done deal. In other words, Israel, you already belong to me is what God is saying here. I went after you. I got you. You're my people. You're not becoming my people. You are my people, Israel. And you got, it begs the question, okay, then, <laughs> you, you, you read about the Israelites. What did they do to deserve the choosing? Seriously, why, why did God go after them? Because after all, they weren't a great nation. They had two million people. That is certainly not a great nation. Don't, don't we have that here? We have... That in Salt Lake City, 2 million. So, I mean, that's not a great nation, right? They weren't like this tremendous war machine. They were slaves turning into nomads. They weren't great at following God most days. They grumbled. They complained. They had bouts of faithlessness. They were scared. They were, yay, God. Oh, hey, God. You know, I, mean, I, I mean, seriously, around the clock, they were fickle. What did they do to deserve to be chosen? I don't know. I have no idea. We may never know that, except that God said, it, you did nothing. I am the one that did the choosing here. I chose you. I picked you. My, my lineage is through you. My fame, my kingdom, everything is through you. I chose you. And then it's almost as if history would know we would ask this question, and God throws this in. How does he describe them at the end of that verse there? Did you read it? I chose you from all the people on the face of the earth. Treasured possessions. God says, Israelite, you are my treasured possessions. You're priceless. You're holy. You're set apart. You're mine. You're mine. You're all mine. Here's the interesting thing. If you fast forward and actually start pulling apart the New Testament, the same words, the same phrasing shows up in the New Testament 
in a different way. On the screen here, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Same, a perfect tense. Almost the same scenario. Check this out. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. So Peter's writing this here, and, and, and who's, who's the you that he's writing to? Because you would think, well, maybe he's talking about the Israelites. I mean, is he, not, is he talking about the Israelites here? And he's not. That's the cool thing. He's talking in the present tense. He's talking about the, the modern-day church. Really what that means is he's talking about you. He's talking about me. And he's saying wonderful things in this verse. Please throw it back up there for a second. He's saying unbelievable things about who we are to him. He's saying you're a chosen generation. Back in the Old Testament, the chosen generation, the chosen people were the Israelites. In the New Testament, the chosen generation is the church, the followers of Christ. He says you're a royal priesthood, that you're a holy nation. In the Old Testament, the God, God chose an entire nation of Israel to be his priests. And one thing led to another, and, and you may have read some of it, and suddenly they were out of God's favor, and he got kind of angry at them, and so he picked a tribe, called them the Levites. He said, okay, now you are the holy priests. Today, there is no priesthood on earth that God recognizes except for one. It's the followers of Christ. Israel had a priesthood. Today, the church is the priesthood. Connect the dots there. You and I are the priesthood. You and I are the church. This is written so that you and I today could read it at K2 the church here on 2100 South and hear how much he loves us. And he goes on, a people of his own. Again, the tense here, the, the, the present tense, a people of his own, that, that we are people that belong to him. We're priceless. We already belong to him. We're not going to belong. We already belong to him. He went after us. If you are a follower of Christ, this is your reality. This is who you are. This, this is your true identity, straight from Scripture, that you are chosen. And I got to tell you, I don't know what that does for your heart, but here's what it does for me. Beth and I had a tremendous conversation last night and really processed through this. When, when, when I realize that I've been chosen by God, when I realize that the maker of the universe seeks after me, that little old Andy Marshall of Salt Lake City, Utah, that gives me a boldness to, to move out from my position and to follow him. Some of you drug yourself in here today, and it's probably all you could do. Not everyone, but there's some of you in here that all you could do is just come to church today. Because you feel so far off the radar screen of, of care for anyone. You feel like people just don't even give a rip. And I don't know what the, the situation is in your life, but we could take a guess. Somebody has mistreated you. Maybe a spouse doesn't, doesn't give a rip anymore. Maybe you're beaten down inside by some kind of relationship. Maybe, maybe you're the one doing the beating. <laughs> maybe you feel like you, you've blown it, that you're a com complete failure as, as a father or as a mother or as a daughter or a son, and there's no remedy for that. Maybe you feel that if people actually sitting in your row knew what was really going on inside your, your heart, they'd probably get up and move a couple chairs. But maybe you came anywhere and you're wearing this happy smile, the K2 smile, <gasps> you know? It's actually not really like that. It's like, hey. Maybe you're doing that, right? And you just showed up. But you don't feel like you have anything to offer. I got to tell you, I just, I have to set the record straight for you. If anybody had the right to reject you, listen to me, if anybody had the right to reject you, it is the almighty, most holy creator of the universe himself. And what does he say? He said, I went after you. I chose you. I did everything possible. You're mine. I'm not getting you. You are mine. I chose you, present tense. 
went after you. You're chosen to be my child. You are chosen to become part of my body. You're chosen to be a place where my spirit lives inside of you. You are mine. That is your true identity. And if you're a follower of Christ, nobody can take that away from you. Nothing, nothing can fly in the face of Scripture and say that that is not true because you've been designed by Him and for Him. You've been made holy. You're consecrated. You're set apart for His pleasure. See, see, consecration, this churchy word that we're talking about, this consecration, this setting apart, this purifying, this reserving of yourself, it starts by acknowledging, I have been chosen. I've been chosen. I belong to the king. I'm his. Dead. There it is. And second, consecrating, not only is I've been chosen, but it's acknowledging that the work of Christ is how I'm holy. If you want to write down on, on your notes, you can say, I'm chosen, and then you can just write this little key phrase, because it kind of sums it up. Just say, and he did it. I'm chosen, and he did it. I'm set aside because I'm chosen by him, and the work of Christ actually solidifies that. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, and then I'm going to tag verse 14 as well, talks about this. It says it this way, and by that will. If we had been reading verses 8 and 9, you would actually know that that will is in reference to God's will. And by God's will, we have been made holy. By, by everything that he did, we have been made holy, it goes on, through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So the question is, how did holiness enter my life? Is it anything that I did? Is it because I just happened to show up? Is it anything that I did? Is it because I earned God's favor? No, his holiness, right here in in Hebrews 10.10, his holiness comes because of the supreme sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The death, the resurrection, the burial, the the defeat of sin. And it goes on with this little phrase. Look at the end of the verse there. Once and for all, final. Once and for all. In fact, that whole entire little phrase there, once and for all, it's mentioned seven times in Hebrews in two chapters. Once and for all, once and for all, once and for all. God is saying, done, because it underscores the finality of Christ's death and his sacrifice. My sin, according to Hebrews 10.10 and the rest of the Bible, done, paid for, done. My relationship to God, secure. I'm set aside, I'm chosen. How? Through the work of Christ. Nothing that I'm doing. It's all the work of Christ. Let's pick up verse 14. Because, here it is, by one sacrifice... He has made perfect forever. Oh, this is weird. Okay, my brain uh, has to slow down on this because it gets so, so weird with all the, all, all the wording here. We have to actually pull this apart. Once and for all, because of one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever, perfect forever, those who are being made holy. Very interesting language here. It it seems like it contradicts himself, but here's the deal. One sacrifice, Jesus Christ paying the penalty of our sins. One sacrifice, he made us perfect forever, meaning all my sin, all your sin, gone, past, present, future, paid for, gone, when I put my faith in Jesus Christ. But the next phrase there is those that are are perfect forever, being made perfect forever, are being made holy. Holy. Here's the interesting part. The indication here is that when Christ is in me, he's doing all the work. He continually grows me. He continually is working on me, continually setting me apart for his his special use. It's almost like you don't ever arrive. God is saying, I've got your heart. I've forgiven your sin. Now the rest of your life is you falling in love with me. And I'm going to do all the work. You just got to show up. You got to move out from your position. And set yourself apart so I do the work in you. This is, this is so cool. And here's the, th- the third part then. He says, set yourself apart means you've got to realize you're chosen. Setting yourself and concentrating yourself apart, uh, apart means that, that, that God is, is Jesus Christ doing all the work. And then acknowledging, here's the third part, acknowledging that since you and I have been made holy, 
then we have to live that way. So if you're writing down key phrases, you can say, I'm chosen, he did it, live it. I got to live it. When Joshua instructed the Israelites to consecrate themselves, he was already telling a people who are consecrating. I guess another way to say is this. I have been made holy. You have been made holy by placing your faith in Christ and his provision. My sin is being paid for. Grace from God is, is taking up uh, um, a home in my heart. And now I live like I was created to be. Live in the way of holiness. We set ourselves apart. We consecrate ourselves to walk as God intended and designed you to be. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. There's two verses here that actually talk about this walking. Starts fleshing it out. So if you're asking the question, okay, what does is, what is consecrating look like? What, I mean, the tangibles of that, this is the tangibles of it. The living it out. Therefore, as God's chosen people, isn't that cool? There it is again, God's chosen people. He's like, I went after you. Holy, ah, there's the work of Christ. The work of God reconciling us to him. Holy and dearly loved, treasured. You're my possessions, treasured. I seek after you. Clothe yourself. Meaning, take the attributes of God. Take the attributes of Jesus. Take his characteristics and get it into you. Clothe yourself with compassion, humility, sorry, kindness, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Paul saying, you're holy. You're God's chosen people. You got to set yourself apart, consecrate. So what does that look like in your life? He's saying here, it looks like Jesus. Consecrating yourself means you live like he lives, that you do what he does, that he is in your life through your daily life. He's in you. You're clothing yourself. You're getting him into you. And it's him doing the work. Oh, Listen, this is a sharp contrast between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and, and hang with me here for a second, and it gets kind of confusing. I'm going to throw a, a quote up here on the screen. And I got to tell you, I had to read this quote like six times. And then I started reading it, and I'm like, oh, that's good. It, it, because it shows this sharp contrast between the Old and the New Testament. And this is really important. In the Old Testament, holiness used to mean strict separation for the people of God from the people that did not follow God. So Israel pretty much kept to themselves, and they were, they were separating themselves to be holy before God. They fiercely guarded that. But see, the idea of holiness in the New Testament changed. And here to help us out with that is Lawrence Richards. <laughs> Check out this quote here. I love this. Theologian. The New Testament presents a dynamic concept of holiness as moral purity expressed in contact with the common and profane. Believers are to separate themselves from evil while living among people who remain uncommitted to the divine standards. The holy is not kept rigorously distinct from ordinary life. This next phrase is nuclear. Instead, instead, the essence of holiness is a dynamic expression of the divine within the normal processes of daily life. What does that mean? It means that if I'm going to live holy, it means that I allow God to use me. I allow God to consecrate me, to set me apart so that my life, Him, through my life, starts impacting the world around me. By clothing, as, as Paul said, myself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience that we just read, setting myself apart to be used by God, 
and I take on his attitude, and I forgive as he forgave, and I love as he has loved, and I serve as he, he serves, and I then I bring him glory, and I bring him honor through my life, and I'm ready to move out of my position as the Israelites were instructed when he moves. Isn't that beautiful? I'm ready to engage when he engages. In Ephesians, and it's not on the screen here, but in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul has a great word for this. He says, be imitators. Be imitators of God. Living it out means that you and I then bear the likeness, we bear the image of the one that made us. We act like God. We walk as Jesus walked. We allow his characteristics to become our characteristics. We love because he loved. We remain pure and we guard our hearts because he tells us to guard our minds and our hearts and, and be clean. And we, and, we, and, we, and we think through our choices and we actively choose to live in his image. I set myself apart. I con- consecrate myself means I'm going to live in the way of holiness. And again, let me just be clear. I can't make myself holy. God did the making He did all the holiness, but I choose to embrace the life of holiness that he's calling me to. That's what consecrating means. And so my question for you is this, and I I really want you to reflect on this. Is that the type of life that you're living? With, the, with those that are closest to you in your life, your friends, your, your family, those, those that, that say they know you best, would they describe you as this fragrant aroma of Christ? In, in, in other words, who are you when no one's watching? Who are you when no one's taking inventory of your heart? See, you, you can totally agree that, that, that we are chosen. I think churches are full of people that agree with the facts, that, that we, are, we are chosen. That's a fact. We can agree with that. And I think that we can agree that, that it was Christ's doing. But here's the hard part. Is my life reflecting the sacrifice? Is my life reflecting His image? Am I living it out? Because if not, I'm going to miss it when He moves. I'm going to miss it when He asks me to follow And when he does amazing things, miraculous, as he did with the Israelites. So setting ourselves apart here at K2 means that you and I have got to realize that we're chosen. And I'm chosen when I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And any holiness in my life that results from that is all Christ's work on the cross. It's all him. It's not me. I can talk about it but I've got to do it. I've got to move out from my position and follow without hesitation when he says go. And here's the last, the last thing I've got to bring up and then we've got to cut it loose. The final key to consecrating myself and setting myself apart for God is this. And this isn't very eloquent, <laughs> But I need to acknowledge that I probably need to confess some junk in my life. I'm going to need to confess it. Here's here's the harsh reality. I can't be set apart. I cannot be consecrated. I cannot move forward in my personal adventure that God has for me if I have junk and sin in my life that's taking up residence and I'm hiding it, I'm sweeping it underneath the rug Stuff that nobody knows about, stuff that maybe your spouse doesn't know about, stuff that your best friends, whoever it is, your accountability partners, the people who are sitting next to you, the people that you work with, whatever it is, that stuff, I cannot move forward. I cannot move from my position. I can't engage with what God is doing if that stuff is controlling me, and sin will. It takes up root, and it robs me of my joy, and it destroys my spirit, and it distracts me, and it strangles my relationship, and it will for you with God. But consecrating myself means setting it, myself apart and boldly confessing to God, saying, God, I have fouled up my relationship with you. And on an ongoing basis, seeking his forgiveness. And one of the greatest verses in all the world, I'm telling you, man, this is one of the first ones I ever memorized, and it sticks with me today, and I claim it all the time, is 1 John 1, 9. If 
you confess, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just, he will forgive us of our sins and purify us. Check it out. Purify, consecrate, set us apart, sanctify our unrighteousness. I left out a word, all our unrighteousness. He does the work. And against popular belief, God does not hold a grudge against me. If I confess my sins, he forgives, he consecrates, he's no longer angry. Why? Because all the punishment that I was going to receive is gone. It's on the cross. And some of you might be thinking in here, great, Andy, but you don't know. You do not know what I have done. And I can say it right back to you. You don't know what I've done. You, and we, we don't know. There's so much stuff that we, 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 we just have in our life. And we think, how could God actually take me? How could I ever be consecrated? How could I ever be set apart? Andy, I've gone too far down this slope. I've gone way too far. I'm, I'm, I'm too far gone at this point. And you've got to hear me clearly. And what the scripture is saying today is that you're wrong with that type of thinking. You're dead wrong. No matter how far down the slippery slope, no matter how far you've tried in your life to run away or sweep it or hide it or whatever, it's only, listen, one step back. That's all it takes. One step back. I think sometimes Satan tries to trick us into thinking that coming back into relationship with God is this long, drawn-out, arduous, year-after-year process, complex, that's going to take forever to get back into fellowship with Him. And it's really just one step. Because it's the difference between fellowship and relationship. Fellowship is my current status. Relationship is my permanent position. Would you agree that I could not have a fellowship with my wife but still be married to her? Yeah. I totally could. Would you agree that my daughter could not have fellowship with me, but she's still my daughter? Of course. I I could totally do that. When I sin, I don't lose my relationship with God when I'm in Him. What do I lose? I lose my fellowship with Him. And it's only one step away from returning to that. If I'm wallowing in sin, if I'm stuck, God says, you want to see me do amazing things? Oh, Move into confession with me. Consecrate yourself. Allow me to do the work inside of you. Allow me to set you apart as holy. He knows how far you've stepped away. He knows how far. Either it's one big, giant, humongous step, or maybe it's just a bunch of little, tiny, petty ones that have left you far away from him. Maybe you're not as close to Christ as you used to be. But I want to encourage you guys today. If the scripture is telling us to consecrate ourselves, then it's one step back. Confessing to him. David prayed this. Psalm 51. Oh, I wish I could read the whole thing to you, but I just have an excerpt. David prayed this prayer right after he killed a man because he committed adultery. I thought David was a man after God's own heart. Yeah, he was. He took big steps. David often didn't sin little. (laughs) He sinned big. And he quickly came back and confessed that God had his way with him. And here's what he said. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Notice as we read this, who's doing the work? Who's the one? It's God. It's God reconciling. It's God forgiving. It's God doing the work. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit. Sustain me. Notice David didn't say, God, give me salvation again. He didn't say that because he hadn't lost it. What did he pray for? Give me joy. Give me the joy of my salvation. To consecrate myself means to realize that I am chosen, that I am deeply sought after, and to agree with God on that, to enter into relationship with him. 
to understand that it's all Christ's work and nothing that I have done other than choosing to, to place my faith in him. It's confessing that I need that. I've got a dumb question for you, and it's the dumb question of the morning. So give me grace. Do you want to see astounding, miraculous, amazing things in your life? Who wouldn't? Who would not want to see that? The only way, the scripture says, is if you would consecrate yourself, set yourself aside, for God to be used, to be dwelt by him. And I just have to say, you were chosen for that, by the way. <laughs> you were designed for that. You were made for it. And Jesus made it, Jesus made it completely possible for you. And we're going to exercise this last step today. And we're going we're gonna to do it. As the band comes up, um, I want to give you the opportunity to take the balance of the morning to consecrate yourself, to do what we've been talking about, to, to say to God and to confess to him, God, I don't want to miss anything that you have for my life. I don't want to miss anything that's going on around me that you're up to. I want every opportunity, God, to move out of my position and to join you in what you're doing. And by the way, next week is amazing when we finish Joshua because you actually get to see what God does and you get to see what is possible in your life. But standing here on the bank you don't want to miss it. And you want to miss what he has for you either. To say to God, I want to be smack dab right in the middle of everything that you have and right in the middle of everything you've got for me. And as I look with scripture, it starts with confession. It starts with going to God and receiving and realigning and reestablishing my fellowship with him. And in some cases, my relationship with him, if I've never done that. So do this with me. Reach underneath your chair. There's a, a scrap piece of paper down there. And hopefully you've got a pen as well. I want to invite you for the balance of our time to think through what this means for you. What does it mean for you to consecrate yourself before God? I guess another way to, to say it, is there anything that is standing in the way of God having all of you. Is, is there anything that is blocking your full surrender to God? See, I don't think anyone is exempt from this because if we go back and we look at the scripture, right? He made perfect forever those who are becoming holy. It's this lifelong journey, this lifelong relationship with God where he is constantly saying, oh, would you give me all of you so I can give you all of me? And today it might be one topic and next week it might be another thing that God brings to me. And I don't want you to write your name on it and I want you to fold it in half and I want this to be between just you and God to say, God, I'm going to take a chance today. I'm going to be brave. I'm going to be bold I don't want to miss anything that you have for me in my life, in the lives of people around me here at K2 and Sugar House and this valley and the travels that you take me to. I don't want to miss anything. God, there's certainly tons of stuff, but today I want to start with just this one topic. Today I give you this. It might be something that you've done that's just eating a hole in your heart with guilt. Write a code word. It may be an attitude. Maybe you're just finding yourself, you cannot set yourself apart from God. You can't fully connect with God because this anger, this bitterness, this whatever it is, is just creeping up inside your life. And there just doesn't seem to be any room for his holiness and anything that he wants to do because you're so consumed. Maybe it's the fact that you just absorbed with just the world, the business that you're in, the money, the, the this, the that, the, the, just the stress of life, the things that are pushing him out and crowding him out. What is it? that is clogging this relationship, this fellowship between you and God and allowing him to have everything and all of you. What's been hiding? 
For some of you, it might just be that you've never had this conversation. <laughs> it may be that what's been clogging the way is I just I don't have any faith in you, God. I've just never considered that. You want to choose me. That you want to be in a relationship with me had not, not dawned on me. And while you may not have it all figured out today, the bold step may be saying, God, it's been a lack of faith. Would you think about that? And then I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. I'm going to ask you to exchange it. To exchange it with the one who consecrates you. The one who has said all along that he is smitten with you. He's elated with you. The one who gave his son for you. And we're going to do that through communion. Oh, man. I can't, I can't think of any better symbol than to celebrate communion on a day like this. Where God said, my body broken for all of you. My blood shed for all of you. My death for all of you. All of you. For life. And that's what he told his disciples that night. Before it all went down, he sat with them. He goes, don't ever forget. Whenever you think of it, would you celebrate this? Would you do this? Remember the greatness of who I am. Remember what I've done. Exchange your prisoner status with the freedom that I bring. And today, I'm going to challenge you to be bold and to take your three-by-five card and whenever you feel that God has just asked you to do it, just to stand up where you're at and to come up here and exchange it for communion. And for some of you, this might be the first you've ever done this. <laughs> Maybe you've written down faith. Maybe what's been clogging you is that you didn't realize you needed a personal relationship. Maybe he's been tugging at your heart. He's been screaming at you. He's, he just wants all of you. And today, for the first time, you might be taking communion with him. Spend some time. God, what is it that you want me to do to set myself apart? Let's worship. Let's worship.